You're listening to the Virtual World Society Nextent Podcast. For this episode, we invited Noah Robinson, founder and CEO of Innerworld, clinical psychology doctoral candidate at Vanderbilt University. To get involved with our organization, head over to virtualworldsociety.org. What is going on, everybody? Once again, it is Maxwell with the Virtual World Society Nextant Podcast, here with yet another fascinating, incredible, and wonderful guest who I greatly appreciate. They are spending time talking to me today. Noah Robinson, founder and CEO of Innerworld and clinical psychology doctoral candidate at Vanderbilt uh, University. Noah, thank you so much for being on the Nextant Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. You are an individual, a a professional in the virtual world, in the clinical psychology world. And what interests me is it seems like the combination of mental health and virtual reality are like best friends shaking hands a little bit. So I'd <laughs> love to hear a little bit more about Inner World and what was your inspiration for creating this app? Yeah, sure. Um, yes, there's a huge overlap between mental health and virtual reality because I think the thing that makes virtual reality so special is that it can facilitate a sense of presence, you know, in, in an environment, which is also considered, you know, the, the extent to which we think, feel, and behave as if something is real. So the virtual experience is very, very powerful. Uh, Innerworld is a mental health platform that I built in which we take everyday people who are warm and empathetic and we train them in the leading scientifically validated approaches that are typically taught in therapy. So things like cognitive behavioral tools, uh, dialectal behavioral tools, mindfulness. We teach everyday people to lead groups in inner world and facilitate mental health coping strategies basically so that other people can learn how to improve their own situations. And the inspiration actually came from my own background and experience. Uh, when I was 13, I realized I was gay and became depressed and basically escaped into uh, you know, a virtual world, a networked virtual world called RuneScape, which is similar to World of Warcraft or kind of an MMO. And ultimately, RuneScape saved my life. The, you know, I was thinking about uh, suicide and ultimately the virtual stimuli of, you know, leveling up and kind of getting dopamine hits and being motivated to log back into RuneScape between times when I was not logged in, uh, that ended up saving my life. And eventually I was able to come out of the closet to my clan, which was fully anonymous. And, you know, I felt comfortable exploring my identity there. And I overcame my depression in the real world, came out of the real world. And that whole experience led me to be very passionate about building something similar to RuneScape, except I spent almost 10,000 hours escaping reality and living in RuneScape. And so what if we could use the properties of virtual environments and virtual worlds in anonymous social interaction and actually build something that was designed to help people with their mental health instead of solely increase the amount that they're playing and then add VR on top of that. And uh, it's a really powerful combination. That was a, a very fascinating story, especially how RuneScape 
which is an amazing game, which I, I played my fair share <laughs> yeah, of RuneScape okay, cool. as well. I do. Yes. I'm very familiar with RuneScape. <laughs> I, I believe I was part of what they call the RuneScape uh, generation. I know that it, it kind of stretched mm-hmm. pretty far as far as the age group, but the world needs you and it needs people like you. Um, you as an individual and the work that you do. So I am very grateful Thanks. to RuneScape that it was able to save you and you were able to come out to this community. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I love that how that inspiration led you to creating something like Inner World. And these people that you've brought together um, that are trained in specific different fields and, uh, you know, these these different backgrounds. Why do it in inside a virtual app besides something like Zoom as an example? Why why a virtual app? Yeah, so I think there's two really cool parts about Interworld. One is uh, you know the training that we provide for everyday people to lead groups. Then the second is the modality, which is virtual reality, although it also works in 2D mode on other devices. Uh, the virtual reality part is very powerful because Virtual reality, immersive virtual reality, I believe, is the most interpersonal and anonymous technology that exists. So it's if you think about how interpersonal technology is in terms of how much we feel a sense of presence with the other person, video is more than text chat. And then you think about how anonymous a technology is, where actually text chat is more anonymous than video. But virtual reality is this really unique combination where we can be a completely different, we can present ourselves completely differently through an avatar. We can have an anonymous username but yet we still feel like we're with other people in a world that they're right next to us. And that combination is extremely powerful for mental health intervention because based on my research at Vanderbilt and not just my research, but it's mostly the research of other people, I've learned about it during my time at Vanderbilt. The thing that accounts for the majority of outcome in therapy is not the modality of the therapist, but what accounts for about like 60 to 70% of outcomes is just the relationship that someone develops with their therapist to talk about things that are on their mind, to be vulnerable with their therapist. And so when you take that into the virtual world and have someone talking in front of not just one person, but a group of strangers, complete strangers, and opening up about their most vulnerable uh, you know, situation or their thoughts going through their head, and there's someone there who's trained to kind of facilitate those experiences and teach the skills on top of it just creates a really powerful way to facilitate that social support and also teach the skills. And it's uh, we're seeing really profound changes in our members as well and in a world already. Do you think virtual reality is going to start making relationships with more industries, given the massive amount of success it's had uh, with something such as mental health? Yeah, I think so. I think that it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a new way of interacting with digital stimuli. And it's, you know, another computing platform, as Mark Zuckerberg likes to call it, he likes to say, you know, it's the the final computing platform. I don't know if it's the final one, Uh, but I think it's a really powerful one that, you know, we're really going to start to see a lot of interesting development, especially when we get the mixed reality headsets coming out uh, that companies are working on, that at least are rumored to be working on. Uh, I think Meta's rumored to be releasing one at Connect in just a couple of weeks. So uh, that's going to be really interesting too. So I, I think there's a lot of potential here, but I'm most pa- most passionate about replacing a user's environment because that's where I think we can do the most impact with mental health is actually put it, taking someone out of their everyday environment and putting them in a controlled, you know, powerful world and then helping them with their mental health. 
What do those worlds look like? Those those environments that you are replacing and that you're there you're giving to people? Because I can imagine that there was also some inspiration taken from RuneScape because you have to be involved. You have to be interested in the world of RuneScape and that that kind of fantasy realm in order to really dive into the content, engage with the the content because you have a passion for it and interest for it. Are the is that what the worlds look like? Are they fantasy, science fiction, or are they just varied? They're different and specific to every person. You know, it's interesting. Uh, typically, when you think of a game loop, like RuneScape, the game loop, you know, going on quests, earning levels, you know, all those kinds of things. Our core game loop is interacting with other people and trying to help people feel comfortable opening up and being vulnerable with others. And so the environments are important and we have a variety of environments and they're really cool. And, you know, they, they're they very smooth. So they're the frame rate works very well in them. But the most important thing are the other people in the environments. And that's what we really, really worked on, making sure that we have trained facilitators, that we have a culture and a community that does not allow trolling, that we have moderation tools, things like that. So the environments are very diverse and different things work for different people, just actually like any mental health intervention. But the core thing that we've really optimized for the game loop, so to speak, is the interpersonal interactions that we facilitate and the acquisition of those uh, evidence-based tools that people can learn. Yeah, that's it's incredible what you've been able to do, what you've been able to learn, what you've been able to study and and all coming from this original metaverse. Um, do you think the metaverse has existed for a long time? Do you think it exists before Zuckerberg yes. was like, oh, I'm going to make this term famous. I'm going to, uh, you know, people hear metaverse these days and those not involved in virtual reality usually are going to so associate it with meta, with Facebook, with Zuckerberg. Do you think that the metaverse has has existed ever since digital technology allowed us to enter new worlds? Yes, yes. I mean, that's I define the metaverse as a combination, just like the internet, it's a combination of disparate, currently they're mostly disparate, they're not interconnected, but it's any kind of virtual environment in which we can interact with one another as avatars. That's what I would consider the metaverse, these 3D spaces that we can go in and interact with each other. Uh, you know, I think that Meta has done a lot for, or Facebook has done a lot for promoting the idea of the metaverse and kind of bringing it into the zeitgeist. Now, when I tell people what I'm doing, they're like, oh, I've heard of that thing. And that's a huge thing. I mean, that's worth that's that's millions of dollars worth of marketing right there of someone just understanding what it is. So I think that's really good that it's becoming uh, something people are talking about. But yeah, I think that the metaverse, it, you know, Fortnite, World of Warcraft, Roblox, RuneScape, uh, Inner World, all these different kinds of experiences, I would consider as part of the metaverse. Maybe it's not that interconnected part yet where we can just hop from one to the other with the same identity. But that's really, to me, that's more. Uh, of a detail than the core idea of a place where people can come in and interact with one another through the internet as avatars. Yeah, that's a great way to um, to describe it, you know, because I think a lot of people are having a difficult time understanding what does the metaverse mean? What does it include? What is it? And virtual reality people can, can yes. do have an answer to it. You know, we we do actually have an answer to something like that. And I'm curious with your tie into virtual reality and clinical psychology, by the way, uh, as somebody involved in in academia who uh got his master's after he started teaching at, at universities i gotta say very impressive being a doctoral candidate like that is so hard to do so seriously good for you Thanks. that is that is awesome um that is really amazing and at vanderbilt university uh 
incredible. And I'm really curious, what makes you think to yourself, hey, I want to get involved with clinical psychology. I want to get involved at the higher academic level. I am passionate about this. Yeah, so I've always been interested in clinical psychology since I was a kid. Um, I'm the youngest of four boys and my next oldest brother, so he's the third, uh, he had, he was born, had meningitis shortly after, a few weeks after he was born and was left with permanent brain damage. And so when, as I got older, around the age of nine or 10, um, although he was my older brother, developmentally, I became, I kind of passed him and he became kind of like a younger brother to me. And so that experience when I was about 10 was really, you know, kind of highlighted the power of the brain. And I was wondering, like, well, what, how is it that this is happening? You know, he looks like he's older, but he's acting like he's not. And that really made me really interested in the brain and psychology, plus my desire to help others and understanding how people, uh, you know, what motivates people and things like that. So I think that combination is what really led me to be passionate about clinical psych and also, I will say that I've been very lucky at Vanderbilt because I'm studying under uh, Steve Holland, who's a protege of Aaron Beck, who created cognitive behavioral therapy. And so my training there has been fantastic in teaching me the core ideas and tenets of clinical psychology to help me build inner world to make sure that we're approaching it from a scientific perspective and with a scientific approach as well, validating what we're doing and testing it, which we're still in the process of doing, by the way. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my journey so far. I actually almost got kicked out of grad school as well um, for pursuing what I was pursuing. But uh, <laughs> uh, there, once I found the innovation folks at Vanderbilt, they were very supportive. And, uh, and then Steve also took me in basically. And um, there's a lot of people excited about VR now, but I think that, you know, six or seven years ago, it was a little bit of a, uh, conundrum as to why I was so quote unquote obsessed with social VR. But now I think people get it, which is great. Yeah. Now, uh, the your colleagues now, so they have a better understanding of virtual reality, especially being at something called innovation, right? You hear the word innovation, you're going to think virtual reality, augmented reality, nanotech, you know, things along those lines. So do they have a better understanding of it now? Or is it just that you're with a group that's like, we're all for this? I think you know, in, in academia, it really comes down to your mentor and the lab that you're in. And so I just kind of was unlucky in terms of starting out working with someone who was less enthusiastic about virtual reality. But once I found a mentor who was supportive and really saw the potential, uh, that's when things really turned around for me. But I think it's a, it's a, I think for anyone out there who's excited about technology in the future, I think you really do have to stick to uh, your vision of how you think technology is going to work. And if it's accurate, I think the world will slowly start to realize that potential. And that's where a lot of really exciting, innovative things happen. Um, but sometimes it's hard to stay on that path. There are people who are very skeptical about, you know, whatever technology someone's excited about. Yeah. Virtual reality technology, definitely, although it is incredibly exciting, um, as you say, and as you here and both of us are talking about how exciting the technology is there are certain it seems downfalls with you know the optics with the yeah. uh, with the audio with the price with availability of, of the technology what are some downfalls that you're hoping that um, either those in your field can overcome or companies that design these products really need to overcome I think the cost of the virtual reality headsets is definitely a huge barrier. Um, and that's where I have to say Meta has 
done a huge thing for the industry by subsidizing the cost of the headsets. We now see that they increased the cost by $100 recently of the Oculus Quest. Uh, but subsidizing the cost of the headsets is really, really huge for increasing access. Um, so I think that the cost of the headset is the biggest drawback. I think all the other things are going to be optimized. I mean, we're seeing, you know, if you think about like the Nintendo consoles and the progression to where we are today from the first one that was released, you know, or any kind of game console, you see that progression or phones. So I'm very confident that the headsets are going to get lighter, you know, better, things like that. But I think that the cost needs to continue to be low enough so that people who are curious about it can buy it to try it and, and, and things like that. So I think that's really important. Um, and I think that's, we're, we're going to start to see more of that at, you know, Pico just released a headset that's also, you know, I think it's like 400 euros. So I think we're starting to see that now with companies competing to lower the price. And I think that's the biggest barrier. Um, other downfalls, I would say, are privacy. I think privacy is a really powerful uh, thing that we need to be thinking about because the the amount of data that can be collected in these headsets is just unlike almost any other consumer technology that people are using you can collect you know movement eye tracking so you know eye tracking can collect like what you're paying attention to in the world um you know some of these headsets have face tracking in them for detecting someone's emotion uh maybe eventually they'll have other types of physiological measures like heart rate and things like that so really we're getting towards a place where so much data can be collected and we know exactly what's happening in the environment so that you can really start to understand a human. And it's exciting for psychology and research, but it's also something that's going to need to have a lot of policy and uh, privacy considerations around it as well. That's going to be important. Yeah, security is really important to people, especially people a lot more these days, I would say, because the Internet is um, the Internet has made us a little bit wiser. I think at least some individuals has made <laughs> uh, the Internet has made uh, us a little bit um, a little bit wiser as far as what data they're collecting and, you know, what companies are actually getting from us. And do you think with security, uh, as we start to get more security, will things become more expensive? Because some companies tend to make that excuse is that they say, all right, we'll give you more security. We'll have a more secure network, but we're going to have to charge more. Do you think there there can possibly be a balance? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think that, you know, if Apple releases a mixed reality device, it's probably going to have that Apple tax, yeah. <laughs> part of which is uh, due to privacy. And, you know, I think that it's it's something that we're going to have to uh, you know, keep track of and monitor over time. I don't know how companies are going to be able to promote privacy completely who make the headsets, because I think that the developers who create applications are also going to need to do the same thing. Um, like we have a lot of things on our end that we do in regard to privacy and data collection. And we, we actually have informed consent with our users, which I think is a huge, important thing to do to tell people what data is being collected and tell them that we are collecting data um, as a research platform. So I think that it's going to be a mix between the you know distributors of the headsets and also the developers to come together and make sure that privacy is something that is considered and honored. And I, it is reassuring to me, I think that this, like you said, people are more aware of it. So I think there's going to be more pressure on manufacturers to make sure privacy is a component of these headsets. Yeah, that's a great point is that we kind of have to add that pressure to the manufacturers of both the apps and these devices. They need to understand that they have to be responsible with our data, with our privacy, with us as, as individuals, which I, I think is very important. Um, do you think that there is a, a particular age where 
people can start getting interested in virtual reality or start experimenting with virtual reality? Or is there a certain age, in your opinion, both in clinical psychology and in technology, um, is there a certain age where people can start actually engaging with mental health services through virtual reality tech? Yeah, so I think this is still an open question. I think what age is appropriate for someone to be using virtual reality and then what age is appropriate for them to be seeking mental health resources through virtual reality? I think both questions, we're interested in exploring both questions. Um, we have, have adolescents who are interested in using our platform and products, so we're looking into how we can make sure we support them. I mean, adolescents right now, for example, are going into other social apps that are unregulated, unmoderated, and having all sorts of experiences. So one would think that we could create an environment that supports them where they are able to interact with trained you know, facilitators and things like that. So that's an interesting thing to look into. But, you know, I think that there's a lot of ethical considerations to make sure that we protect minors. Um, you know, they're more vulnerable and they can be taken advantage of. And so having that kind of unregulated access to the metaverse in general, I think can be very dangerous, but it's already happening in things like Roblox and Minecraft, World of Warcraft, things like that. Um, I think that in terms of development, development of adolescents and children, I do have some concerns about the impact of violence in virtual worlds on children. I think that there's a big difference between clicking A on an Xbox controller and Grand Theft Auto to hit someone with a bat versus actually taking the your controller and swinging your arm and engaging in the motor movement or pretending, you know, shooting people, things like that. So if virtual reality can be as effective as real life for exposure therapy, like a virtual spider can treat you know, someone's phobia just as effectively as a real life spider, that probably means that, you know, hitting someone with a bat or shooting people in a virtual world might have a little bit of a different connection to, uh, you know, development than just clicking A on an Xbox controller. There's a lot of research that needs to be done in this area. And there's a little bit that has already been done that does suggest that virtual reality is more impactful on the individual. But um, that's my biggest concern, I would say, is in the area of violence. So I know this whole uh, violence in video games controversy has been going on for a long time, but I do think there's a qualitative difference and a developmental impact uh, on engaging in a motor movement to be violent rather than just clicking a button on a keyboard or a controller. You make a really excellent point about the difference in violence in video games, playing Grand Theft Auto, for example, on an Xbox and just pressing a button in order to initiate an action and initiating that action by actually performing that action. Uh, another virtual reality specialist, uh, Steve uh, he had worked for Disney for a while. He loved virtual reality, but he loved it for humanity first organizations using it for for humanity first purposes, such as in clinical psychology. And he said the first time he ever experienced gaming in virtual reality was a zombie game and shooting zombies directly in the head, knowing that that would take them down like that was the you couldn't shoot him in the body. You had to shoot him directly in the head. And he's like, I'm disturbed by this that I have to physically because in VR, it's all it feels real. You physically point a gun and yeah. unleash a bullet directly into his zombie's brain he was way more disturbed by that than just you know playing like left for dead or you know some zombie video game whatever it might be and i'm curious as well gaming is very popular with vr and it's it's it is to be fair making a lot of money with virtual reality and occasionally i'll play a vr game but i notice i way more often use vr for humanitarian purposes for psychology for professionalism for having meetings for 
I, you know, gaming and VR, I'm just kind of like, eh, this just requires more effort. I'd rather play Stardew Valley, you know, on a controller on, on, um, on my switch, you know, and kind of relax because, mm-hmm. you know, VR gaming, I get why it's popular, but for me, I'm like, I'm exhausted. I don't want to be tired at the end of a gaming session, you know? Um, so do you think that it's more important for manufacturers and app developers to focus on the humanitarian first approach for VR rather than gaming? I think, I think gaming is a good entry point into early technology adopters because, you know, I think that gamers have a lot of interest in new technologies and um, new ways to experience entertainment. So I think that's great. I think that we are starting to see more exploration into healthcare and education and other fields outside of gaming with virtual reality. And I think that's where some of the most power lies to positively influence society. I think entertainment is one element, but I think also uh, education and healthcare are huge. And I also think, I've talked about this before, but I think that, you know, as our climate worsens, um, and, you know, going outside when it's 110 degrees outside or, you know, other kinds of inclement weather that's that people are experiencing or this wildfire smoke. I think that virtual reality is going to play a bigger role and a more important role in providing entertainment for, to people and having them feel like they've left their homes. Um, so I think that's kind of I know that's maybe a more negative outlook on the future, but I think it's going to be an interesting way in which virtual reality plays an increasingly important role in helping us with our mental health um, and entertainment as well. Yeah, well, that's a that's a great point. I, I especially agree with, you know, using VR for psychology, mental health, for healthcare, education. It, it is incredibly important. And you have developed this really, really wonderful, wonderful app. And I love the idea behind this and just you know the the mission statement of of inner world and what do you hope for the future of inner world as the community of the app develops yeah so our premise is that there are not enough therapists in the world to help all the people who need help with mental health issues and the only way that we can scale effective affordable and accessible mental health intervention is through something like inner world where you're using groups and training everyday people to help others. And so where I see it going is basically becoming a standard of care where if someone's feeling stressed or anxious or depressed or other kinds of negative emotions that they know that there's a place that they can go uh, however much they need it, whenever they need it, and they can talk to other real people and get help in the moment that they're experiencing help and learn tools that they can bring out of the virtual world. Um, So I'm really excited to do that. We are interested also in expanding into healthcare as well, but I think that the best place to start where we can help the most number of people is through, uh, you know, these kind of peer support groups that we're starting with. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. And I'm so excited for you. And I'm so excited for the prospects of uh, of inner world and, and what inner world can do, especially for the mental health industry. And I hope that you can get more and more into healthcare over time because we need, that's the big thing is we need more apps like this. We need, need more developers that are passionate about education, about medicine, about things along these lines, because, you know, we have so many, we have plenty of apps developers that are creating gaming uh, gaming platforms that people can engage with, but we need more for healthcare, mental health, education, things like that. And Noah, I gotta say, yeah. I love your background, and I'm so grateful that you that you discovered RuneScape and you were able to come out to this community, and it's such an incredible story. So I'm curious, 
those getting into this industry that have a similar background as you, what advice would you give them to be more like you? You know, you're so successful and you have such a wonderful, uh, just thought process in this industry. So how can, how can people getting into this industry who are like you, how can they be more like you? Um, I don't know if I'm successful yet, but I'm, you know, working on it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is to follow your passions and to really, you know, if people tell, you no, trying to find other ways to try to make things happen. Um, I recognize that I think part of the way I've been able to get here is that I'm a white male and I have privilege that, you know, I've taken advantage of and that it's not as easy for other people necessarily to be able to, um, if someone says no, to be able to, you know, find a way to do something. So I think that, but I think that in general, I think just really sticking to one's own passions and what, what someone wants to do and finding a way to make that happen. And I'm also happy to talk to anybody. Like if anyone is listening to this, who's interested in psychology, VR, entrepreneurship, anything like that. Um, I've had amazing mentors in, uh, you know, to help me get to this point and or continuing to help me. And I love to help others as well. Um, so yeah, I would say finding, basically finding a way to do what you're passionate about and finding other people who will support you in that way, whether it's mentors or advisors, things like that. Um, yeah. So I think it's a, it's an exciting journey. And I think that uh, as technology evolves, there's going to be even more opportunities for people to do really cool things as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I'm grateful that the VR world has you. I'm grateful that the world has you and I wish Thanks. you so everything, uh, everything and more for inner world and for your future in clinical psychology. Noah, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with me, uh, for the next in podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Once again, it is Maxwell with the Nexton podcast. A very special thank you again to our guest, Noah Robinson. You can listen to us every Friday at 5 p.m. I'll see you all next time.